Welcome everyone. Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome everyone. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church in the Overflow in Perry, Oklahoma. God bless all of you. Welcome. Uh, welcome to worship. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 today. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Finishing up the series this morning entitled, What Do You Think? We've been sort of bouncing from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is a command that says that we must have our minds renewed. It's a command that says that we must let God transform us into new people by allowing him to change the way we think. So honestly, all through Scripture, it's not just in that one verse, there is a tremendous emphasis on the person, the woman, the man you are on the inside. Now, as human beings, we tend to see the outside and think most about the outside, and we assume that if we've polished up the outside, that we must be okay. We assume that if we're behaving ourselves, if we're following the rules, if we drag our behinds to church on Sunday, maybe Wednesday night too, that somehow we must be okay. But Scripture continues, continues to shift the emphasis away from the outside and back toward the heart, the thoughts, the attitudes, your inner life. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how nearly everything God wants to do in your life depends upon His ability to be Lord of your thoughts, your surrendering of your thoughts, your attitudes, your heart to Him. Honestly, to, to think is one of the easiest things in the world. If you just sit there, your mind will just start to race and wander, and, and that's the way God has made us. It's easy to think, but it's very, very difficult to control our thoughts, and, and that's where we've been over these weeks. We're going to wrap it up with perhaps uh, the most beautiful passage on our thought life, uh, and it's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen closely. Uh, to the scripture and try to figure out where we can find peace of mind peace of mind Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 this is so good always be full of joy in the Lord I, I say it again rejoice Re rejoice in the Lord always he says let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do remember the Lord is coming soon don't worry about anything instead pray about everything Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Isn't that good? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot there. Let's just jump right in. If you uh, pay attention to the way we talk a lot of times, you'll hear people use that phrase, peace and quiet. Uh, I just want some peace and quiet. Anybody ever heard your mama tell you that? Just want peace and, and quiet? So tell me, what do you do, where do you go to find peace and quiet? Somebody tell me. Uh, where do you go, Renee? Renee goes to her back deck, your back porch. What's there or what's not there? Wow. Birds and trees and, and squirrels. Who's got a back porch or a front porch like that? Is that your place? 
Yeah, I've got a front porch with a swing with birds and trees and squirrels. And oh, I, I love my front porch swing. That's where I go for peace and quiet. Somebody else, peace and quiet. Where do you go, Stephen? Your room. Yeah, you live at home with your parents, and, and, and you got like 50 sisters. It must seem like three sisters, yeah. <laughs> Stephen can go to his room and close the door. Yeah, it, it is your man cave. It, it's your inner sanctum. Anybody else got a man cave? Man cave? Jim Jarvis has a man cave? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, a man needs a place. Maybe it's your shop. I, I know all of my life my dad just went to the barn. And the barn was the place where he found peace and quiet. Yeah, uh, every man needs a, needs a place like that. Somebody else, where do you go? Yeah, where do you go, Wilma? Wilma has a sitting area in her garage. Yeah, that's beautiful. Peace and quiet are, are hard to come by, honestly. Now, when you're young, you don't think as much about it. I remember when I was a kid, this is a thousand years ago now, uh, first and second grade, they would give us uh, a list of school supplies at the beginning of the year. And in my day, always on the list of supplies was a mat. Do you remember that? Do they still do that, by the way? Yeah, they don't do that anymore? Anybody else have a mat or am I officially the oldest man in the, in the room? Yeah. We used to buy mats. Why did we buy mats? Because we had naps at school, or at least that was the plan. That, that was always the plan. We, we would buy mats. Now, my parents never bought me one of those nice foam mats. I just got a rug. <laughs> like my dog, I got a rug. So I would spread my rug out there somewhere in the floor, and somewhere after lunch, Miss Bonds would turn off all the lights in the room. All of the kids would lay out on their rugs, and I don't know how long we laid there. It seemed like forever. Because I never took a nap in those days. Never, ever, ever did I take a nap. I don't think anybody took a nap because if you went to sleep, other kids would mess with you. If you went to sleep, other kids would drop things in your mouth. I mean, you just did not go to sleep. But we didn't need naps. Now, that's the funny thing when you're a kid. When you're a kid, everybody will look at you and say, you need a nap. But you never think you need a nap. It's strange how that works. When you're actually old enough to enjoy naps, nobody will let you take them anymore. <laughs> Peace and quiet. Where do you find these things? Let's be real honest. Quiet is, is pretty easy to define, and quiet is probably in most of our lives a little, a little simpler to come by. If you want quiet, all you have to do is go to a place where there's no noise, or at least no offensive noises. A place where maybe if you can get away from traffic sounds, no sirens, no, no motors. If you can get to a place where your uh, babies aren't crying, where your husband's not crying. If you get to a place where there's no television, no, no iPod maybe. If you just go to a place where there's less noise, then you have quiet. Now, sometimes in our world, it's hard to get to a place where there's no noise at all. But honestly, quiet is something that you can find, even if it takes a pair of earplugs. You can drown out noise. But honestly, peace is harder than that. Because I can go to a place where it's quiet and still not have peace. That port swing I talked about earlier, the place where I go for peace and quiet, about five years ago, I had... A blistering panic attack in that swing 
so just being in that swing in a place where there's no noise, it did not in any way guarantee that, that in my heart there would be no disturbing noise. You understand, peace is much, much harder, harder to come by. So we can talk about where to go to find quiet. If you're a mom, probably it's the bathroom. It's the only place you can go and close the door and nobody will ask any questions. It's the bathroom, maybe quiet. But where do you go for peace? Maybe church? Maybe church? I mean, you're in church and I'm a pastor. You're sitting thinking, is that the answer you want? You go to church for peace? Well, th that's funny. It's funny you might bring that up because go back to your Bibles. Right before this passage, this whole passage that's about peace, there are two verses where Paul calls out two ladies in church in the middle of this big fight. I tell you, it must be so embarrassing for these two ladies in heaven today and, and for, for, the rest of, for, for the rest of history, for the rest of time on earth, this is what's going to make them famous. These are two church ladies who fought, and Paul has to call them out. Listen to what he says, verse 2. I appeal to you, Odia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, help these two women, for they worked Hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Seriously? We're talking about all of those years ago. We're talking nearly 2,000 years ago. Seriously? In the church at Philippi, you got two women, and these are prominent women. These aren't just random women that nobody knows. This is a small church. And everybody knows everybody, and apparently everybody knows that these two women are up in it. They can't get along. And it's in the Bible. I mean, Paul names them by name and says, somebody help them. Help them. That's so strange in a way, because you would think that church would be a place where you could come and get away from that sort of thing. You would think that church would be, of all places, the one place you could come and gather with people and find peace. I, I wish I could tell you that that's true. It's just not always true. If you really want peace and quiet in this church, you probably ought to come during the week when nobody's here. Because people just have a way of just sort of disturbing the peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even Christian people, and for some awful reason, sometimes it seems like especially in church, in my life raising a son, I've been on, uh, on soccer teams with him. We've been in, in cross country and track boosters. Uh, we've been on basketball leagues. I've been in all of these different groups with my son. And I don't think I've ever seen people get in big disagreements in the, in the cross country boosters. I just don't think we have. Now, I'm not saying cross country people aren't crazy. They're crazy. But we're all crazy. And soccer, I've played soccer with my son. I've seen parents get kind of hot, but I've never seen them sort of go at each other. Not really. I mean, all the groups, all the different places I've been in, people that I've had interactions with, I've just never really seen them go at it like sometimes we go at it at church. How do you explain that? Now understand, if you're new to Woodburn Baptist Church, I think our church is probably much better than most. We really don't have a lot of that stuff. We don't have a lot of conflict. We really never have, and I don't expect we will. We're just not that church. Most of us just really aren't looking for that. 
But we can probably all tell stories about it. We've been in other churches or even in our congregation, we have our moments. You would think that church would be the one place where you could go and, and have the kind of peace that you can't find anywhere else. But, but even back in, even in Paul's day, he has to call out two women. These are prominent leaders in the church. Understand, when Paul refers to women in the church, they're never sitting on the bench. The, the women in Paul's day, they were not somewhere in the back just warming up the, the, the dishes for the potluck. Do you understand? They weren't just sewing seat cushions for, for, for the prayer room. Do you understand? Paul calls these women his co-workers in the gospel. I don't know exactly what you want to make of that, but it's in the Bible. you got to get used to the idea that Paul considers these women right there beside him as co-workers in the gospel. They're not second string. They're not somehow less than the men. There's co-workers in the gospel. And that's why it's no small thing that these two women can't have peace with each other. Now, why do you think he doesn't tell us? Because now that he brought it up, I'd really want to know what they're fighting about. I mean, don't you get a little bit interested? I mean, Paul brought it up. What's it over? I mean, I want details. Don't you tell me. What are they fighting about? I mean, he brings it up. It's in the Bible. So tell me. What is it? Why don't you think he tells us? Because it's not important. It really doesn't matter. Well, let me correct you there, Tim. It matters to Yodia, apparently. It matters to Syntyche. I mean, these two women are looking at each other across the street with a hate in their face. You ever seen that? I mean, these two women are now in what is a famous argument that's lasting a long period of time. Remember, Paul writes this in a letter from across the Roman Empire. By the time it gets there, he still expects they'll be fighting. He doesn't see this ending anytime soon. This isn't going to blow over. I don't know what they're fighting about. He doesn't give us that detail because it doesn't matter. I expect that if it were a doctrinal issue, if it were something pertaining to the gospel, something pertaining to scripture, I think Paul probably would have weighed in and taken a side. He always does. When it comes to defending error or, or, or defending the truth of the gospel, Paul never, ever holds back. So my hunch is this is not about the gospel. This is not about doctrine. This isn't a matter of truth and error. This is more likely just something stupid. Because as church people, we really tend to get into it over things that just are stupid. Now, I don't mean it doesn't matter to you. It probably matters to you a great deal, or you wouldn't still be mad after 20-something years. I mean, I know it matters to you a great deal, but you've got to understand that there's, a, that there's a certain hierarchy of importance when it comes to the kingdom of God. That there's a hierarchy of importance, and sometimes what seems very, very important to me, I just have to turn loose of it because it's not important compared to the higher things of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? That's why Paul's only word to this women, these women, is in verse 2. He says, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Literally what he says there is, I encourage you to think the same in the Lord. Think the same in the Lord. 
Now, as people, we don't necessarily think the same of, about much of anything. We all have different opinions. We all have different preferences and tastes. We have a different background. We, we, we see everything, almost everything differently. But when we're thinking in the Lord, when we find ourselves in fellowship with Christ, when we make the mind of Christ dominant in our own minds, you understand, we have this amazing ability then to really come together. In other words, if, if you and I are thinking the same in Christ, then honestly, there's not going to be much of anything that could divide us. If we're thinking the same in Christ, then is it really going to matter if we don't think the same about Obama? Or is it really going to matter if we don't think the same about sports? Or if we don't think the same about how worship ought to happen? I mean, honestly, if we're thinking the same in the Lord, what is there to disturb the peace between us? We have no idea what these women found so important to argue about. Paul doesn't even bring that up. He just says, hey, ladies, think the same in the Lord. And then he tells everybody else in the church, help these women. Help these women. Do you understand that that peace of fellowship that, that Christians are supposed to enjoy, that Christians are supposed to treasure, it's everybody's responsibility. Notice how Paul in this message is completely even. He does not take any sides. He doesn't say, help, help, help Syntyche see that Yodia is right. He doesn't take any sides because there are no sides to take among Christians. There's one side. It's the Lord's side. That, that fellowship, that peace that's supposed to be among us when we're together, it's everybody's responsibility to maintain that. We Maintain that by thinking the same in the Lord. That's hard. So if you think that, that you're going to find peace just by coming to church and sitting on a pew full of Christians, I, I'm sorry. I wish it were that way, but it's just not always that way. You've got all kinds of people on your pew. So where's peace found? If it's not just the absence of noise, and if we can't find it just by coming to church, what's the secret? Maybe it's verse 4. Notice what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always? I mean, always? As in always, re rejoice. What does that even mean? Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I think I know what rejoice is. In the New Living Translation, it says, be full of joy. Really? I, I mean, how? How, I mean, rejoicing is a response to something, is it not? It's a response. Can I just cough up rejoicing? I mean, telling me to rejoice, isn't that sort of like telling me to sneeze? Because if I tell you to sneeze, you can't sneeze. You can fake a sneeze like I can fake rejoicing. Hallelujah. But, but it's not real. I mean, it's fake. I mean, can I just say sneeze? Can I just say rejoice? Be happy. Can I just say that? Don't worry. Does it work that way? Re rejoice always, Paul says. What in the world does that mean? 
I've told you all before, it was one of the most beautiful moments ever of being a dad. I was having a horrible time, horrible, horrible time. It was one of the worst times in, in mine and Casey's life. Wade was very small. And one day we were living in the parsonage, so Wade was probably two, maybe two and a half or three, little guy. We were on the back deck of the parsonage, the house next door. We lived there at the time. And so I don't know what was going on. Actually, I think I was just in my thoughts. And my thoughts were dark. It was hard. But Wade, little bitty guy, looks up and says, Daddy, let's laugh. <laughs> Funny. Let's laugh. I mean, I, I thought, man, how do I explain to this kid that it doesn't work that way? I mean, you, you got to have something to laugh at, don't you? Or, or somebody to laugh with. Can you just decide to laugh? I mean, this is what he's saying. Daddy, let's laugh. I'm thinking, I can't think of anything funny at the moment. I, I can't think. There's nothing in me that stirs that up. And yet I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son looking up at me with blind hair and blue eyes saying, let's laugh. So what do we do? We laughed. How, how could I not laugh? We laughed. We laughed, and we laughed, and we laughed. We laughed till we cried. I don't know how to explain it necessarily. I just know that once we started laughing, it got really easy to keep on Keep, keep on laughing. Is this what we're talking about? Maybe just sort of uh, positive thinking? Maybe just, you know, don't think about the bad things. Just think about the good. Is, is this what we're talking about? Because something tells me that when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, something tells me that, that the emphasis isn't necessarily just on the rejoicing. Like I said, joy is, is, is a gift. Joy is something that comes to us from outside. It's a response to something else. I don't know if you can just cough it up necessarily. Follow me in the scripture. There's a pattern here. When the two women can't agree, Paul says, I need you to think the same in the Lord. And now in verse 4, and it comes to rejoicing, it's not just that you're just supposed to rejoice. It's, it's not like positive thinking. Years ago, there was a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, let me be clear. I really don't think there's power in positive thinking. There is no power in positive thinking. There's no power in ignoring your problems. There's, there's no power in that. As a matter of fact, there, there's a certain amount of sickness in that. What I mean by that is to simply ignore or deny problems just for the sake of sounding like a Christian. I don't think that's healthy. And I know that there are people that they read this verse, rejoice always, and they just decide that no matter what, they're just going to be happy. They're just always going to be happy, and they're always going to praise the Lord. And, and sometimes that's genuine, and God bless you for that. But sometimes it's trying to live a life of denial. Sometimes it's just sweeping your worries and your problems under the rug. And haven't you learned by now that whatever you sweep under the rug, you're going to trip over it every day. Some people just try to bury their problems and bury their worries. And haven't you learned by now, if you bury something, you better make sure you bury it dead. Because if you bury it alive, it'll haunt you every day. 
When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he's not talking about deny your problems, not acting like that there's nothing to worry about. He's calling you to something very different. It's a spiritual location. Do you understand? It's rejoicing in the Lord. That's the phrase. That's what makes the difference. It's being in the Lord. This is how Euodi and Syntyche can learn to think the same when they are both located in the very same spiritual place. Paul calls it in the Lord. This is how I can be rejoicing always when I am in the Lord, when my soul is located in a particular place, and that place may not be in the nest of my problems. It's in the Lord. It's a, it's a spiritual location that Paul refers to over and over and over. I can rejoice when I'm in the Lord. The day my son called me to laugh when I could think of nothing to laugh about. Don't you understand? It was in that moment when I was brought back to the Lord. It was the Lord through my son calling me to, to joy. It wasn't that my problems went away in that moment. It's just simply when you're in the Lord, there is so much rejoicing to be done. Did you understand? This is how you can rejoice always. There's just so much rejoicing to be done. It doesn't mean I don't have problems. I do. I, I always will. But it just means that even in the middle of my problems, when I'm in the Lord, there's just still rejoicing to be done. I can still choose to rejoice. It's not meaning I, I'm choosing to deny my problems. It just means I, I choose to celebrate everything that's right in the Lord. And in the Lord, everything is always right. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Think the same in the Lord. A man got on an airplane, packed airplane. They always are these days. He got on an airplane. Every seat was full. Sat down next to a young man with a suntan. Leaned over and said, where are you heading to, son? Young man said, well, I'm actually going home for my honeymoon. The man said, really, that's great. Where's your sweetie? Where's your bride? So she's sitting in the back of the plane. The plane was full and we couldn't get seats together. The man said, well, well listen, go get her. I'll trade seats with her. You can sit beside your bride. Just, just go get her. And the man said, no, 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 wait, no, no. I've been with her all week. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. You're supposed to want to be with her all the time. You're supposed to be in love with her. You, you see, that, that, that's the point. That's what makes the story funny. And, and I guess this is the point of Scripture when it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our lives, our, our inner life in the Lord. You're supposed to be in the Lord. That, that, that's the point. You're supposed to want to be in the Lord. You're supposed to want to be with Him in your thoughts, in your daily life, in every moment of every day. You're supposed to love Him. You're supposed to be in love with Him. This is the point. If, if you don't love Him, if you don't want to be in His presence, if being in His presence doesn't thrill your soul, then I'm telling you, He's not going to be Lord of your thoughts either. And if he's not Lord of your thoughts, he's not going to be Lord of anything. 
if you can't surrender that much of yourself to the Lord, if you can't give him control of your thoughts and ask him to remake you from the inside out, if, if none of that interests you, then, then honestly, you, you've missed the whole point. You, you probably can't be a Christian. You understand the point of being a Christian is to be transformed to be like Christ, but if you, if you don't even want to be in him and, and think like him, if, if Christ is not the point for you, then you can't be a Christian. you, you got to want Christ. Do, do you see? Because it's amazing how the life and the Spirit works. Now, verse 6 with me, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God. You, you see, it's personal. It brings you back to him. All of this constantly, it brings you back to him. Notice what it says. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience what? God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace. We had said that peace and quiet is something that so many people are looking for. Quiet's pretty easy to come by. That's just the absence of noise. But what is peace? Most people think that peace is somehow the absence of conflict. Peace is just a place where you don't have any problems. Peace is the absence of things to worry about or, or the absence of any kind of spiritual noise. Peace is, is that absence of, of conflict. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what peace is. And that might be why peace continues to run away from you. You, you haven't yet learned what it is. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Okay, whose peace? It's God's peace. It's God's peace. And if it's God's peace, then where do I get it? Ambien. No, no. Where do I get it? The liquor store. No, no. Where does peace come from? Hawaii. No, no, no. It's God's peace. So where do you find it? In God. You see? You find it in Him. Don't worry. Just pray. With thanksgiving, tell God what you need. And the peace of God, God's peace, you understand? It's God's peace. It's found in Him. If you don't want God, then you can't have His peace. You'll never have it. It's God's peace. And the scripture says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Okay, we're talking about a very particular definition of peace now. This is true peace. And how is it defined? It is the peace of God, God's peace, and it, the old King James says, it passes all understanding. The peace that passes understanding. I, I love that. What does it mean? Break it down. The peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, this is a peace that cannot be explained. It surpasses understanding. I cannot understand this peace. I, I can't explain it. There's something about it. It's different. It's beyond my comprehension. So what kind of peace is it that you can't explain? The peace that surpasses all understanding. What are we talking about? It's simple. The peace that surpasses all understanding is the peace that is present when it shouldn't be. Understand? You see, 
If you're sitting on the beach in Destin, Florida, with a very large Diet Coke in your hand, under one of those umbrellas, with your husband massaging uh, tanning oil into your back, you understand at that point, I, I could explain why you have peace. I can explain that. If you're sitting on your back porch with the squirrels and the birds and the trees and your whole family has taken a week's trip away, I can understand your peace. I can understand that. If you got one of those uh, gift certificates and you get to spend the whole day at the day spa getting, getting your nails done and your toenails clipped and, and getting people to pamper and lay hot stones on your back, I can understand your peace. You see, I can explain that. So this isn't the peace that, that Scripture calls God's peace. This isn't the peace that we crave because that peace just depends upon your circumstances. You can't spend your whole life at the day spa. That's why they call it a day spa. You can't spend your whole life in Destin, Florida unless you move there. And let me break the news to you. You're in Woodburn, Kentucky. No beach. And your husband is not going to spend all day rubbing your back. That's not where we live. And that's why we don't have that kind of peace all the time. That's vacation peace. That's day spa peace. That's not God's peace. God's peace is the peace that is beyond explanation. It's the peace that passes understanding. This is the peace that nobody can explain. This is the peace that you experience in the middle of the storm. Now, I can't explain that. This isn't the peace that you experience when you're healthy. This is the peace that you experience in chemotherapy. I can't explain that to you without making some kind of reference to God. Do you understand? It's, this isn't the peace that you experience if your marriage works out and you live happily ever after. This is the peace that you can experience when the wheels fall off your marriage and nobody could possibly explain how you continue to have peace unless they make some sort of reference to God. That's God's peace. This isn't the peace you experience when your children are home, safe in bed. This is the peace you experience when you haven't heard from your son in three months. We're talking about a peace that you can't explain. A peace that surpasses understanding. This is a powerful kind of peace. It's so powerful that the promise of Scripture says, the peace that passes all understanding will what? Guard your heart's and your mind. This isn't the peace that you've been thinking about. This is something very different. This is strong peace. This is very strong peace. It's not just the absence of problems or the absence of worries. It's something altogether different. One of my favorite stories about peace is the story about a little boy named Gilbert. Gilbert was in the Boy Scouts, little fella. One day they sent home the paper uh, with the little block of wood and the little wheels and the nails. It, it was a little kit for a what, Pinewood Derby car. Is that what we call those, Pinewood Derby car? And the Scout Master said, take this home and give it to Dad. Give it to your dad. The thing is, Gilbert's dad was home, but he wasn't the dad that you could give that to. He... Um, just drank all the time and he wasn't there to help Gilbert in any way that paper laid on the table for the longest time 
Gilbert began to ask mom about it. Mom, what am I going to do? I, I need to build this car. Finally, mom just decided to sit down and, and help Gilbert build the car. Now, you know how it is when you try to help your child do something. A lot of times you end up doing it for them, but mom couldn't. She didn't know how to do any of it. She just said, Gilbert, I'll read the directions for you, and then you do what it says. We'll just read the directions together and follow them. So mom helped Gilbert, and he made a car. It was actually pretty awesome. They painted it blue, and he put a lightning bolt on it, and then he wrote in a magic marker, Blue Lightning. His car was called Blue Lightning. And it, it rolled, it actually rolled, and they were pretty excited. So, so they went to the big Pinewood Derby race day with, with the Boy Scouts, and, and everybody lined up, and as soon as they got there, Mom realized, oh, oh, it, it was embarrassing from the start. For one thing, when they laid the cars down, it became very obvious that Gilbert's the only one who made it himself. Obviously, everybody else had Dad's help, or in some cases, maybe the help of NASA. I mean, these were amazing, um, amazing little cars. That They looked fast. That They just were amazing. And Gilbert's was pitiful. It was just pitiful little thing. And, and when Gilbert's car rolled, they didn't think about it at home, but it did this, wobble, wobble, wobble. The other thing was every kid there had a man beside him. Every kid but Gilbert, he had mom. As the race went, you know, you race and you just keep racing until you lose. You just keep putting car against car, car against car. And they put Gilbert's car on the track and it would wobble, 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 wobble all the way in. But, but it won. He won some races. And he sort of kept winning. And this car, it was weird. These other cars would be sleek and beautiful and fast. But Gilbert's car would wobble, 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 wobble and, and somehow win. So the very last race, it was the very last race, and Gilbert's still in, and he's got his car, Blue Lightning, next to this kid that had beat every other car in the race, ever the car. This car was amazing. It was like a rocket. They put Gilbert's car at the top and the other kid's car at the top, and this is the final race, and Gilbert said, wait, time out. I want to pray. And he did. He took a knee right there at the Boy Scouts. He took a knee, and he prayed for what was like a minute and a half. Now, a minute and a half doesn't sound like a lot of time to you, but at the Boy Scouts, Pinewood Derby, it seemed like a really long, awkward period of time. That little boy just prayed. He prayed his heart out, a minute and a half. He stood back up and said, let's go. They released the trigger. Blue lightning, wobble, 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 went down. He won the race. And Gilbert jumped and said, thank you. It was it he won, it was awesome. In a few minutes, they were giving out the awards. The scoutmaster had a microphone. He held it up to Gilbert. He said, Gilbert, now tell us the truth. When you prayed, you prayed to win, didn't you? Gilbert said, no, I didn't pray to win. That wouldn't be fair. I just prayed that God would be with me so that when I lost, I wouldn't cry. I think he gets it. I think he gets it. Notice what the scripture says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. This 
peace of mind that we crave. It's not a peace that, that just sort of bubbles up when you don't have any problems. It's not the absence of problems. That this peace that you crave, it's not a peace that, that just descends when you're on vacation. This is a peace that's beyond all understanding. It's the peace that is present when it shouldn't be. And actually, it's not just peace. It's not this spiritual force. It's, it's not like that at all. It's, it's God. Paul says that the God of peace will be with you. Don't you understand? He brings peace. He gives peace. It is really, really difficult to control my thoughts. It is so difficult not to worry. It is very, very difficult sometimes just not to panic. But it's somehow less difficult when I am in the Lord. When I take all of my worries and anxieties and temptations and I, I somehow turn those into prayer. Understand? When I seek the Lord and try to locate myself in the Lord because when I'm with Him, he gives me peace. He gives peace. Pray with me. Lord, some of us, our minds never stop racing. Lord, we can go to the quietest place on the planet. We can sit in our swing. We can sit in our shop. We can close the door in our bedroom. But Lord, even in the quiet sometimes, we don't have peace. That's why some of us hate quiet. That's why some of us want noise all the time. That's why some of us keep an iPod plugged in our ears and turned up, Lord. Because when things get quiet, all of a sudden, Lord, the only thing we can hear is the voice of conflict inside of us, the voice of fear, the voice of worry, the voice of insecurity, the voice of guilt, the voice of shame, the voice of sin, Lord. We don't know how to control our thoughts. We don't know how to turn these voices off. We can't achieve peace without you. Lord Jesus, many in this house today, in the sound of my voice, Lord, are craving peace. They just want a mind that grows quiet like a babe at the bosom of its mother, Lord, a, a, a baby, Lord, that is just so safe and secure and nourished. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us be found in your arms like that. Lord God, I pray that your peace would spread its wings over our lives and guard our hearts and guard our minds. Oh, Lord God, we want peace. Teach us, Lord, that we will only find peace when our hearts are found in you. Today, Lord, help us all to, to think the same in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to once and for all find the peace we need, we crave, to find that peace in you, O oh Lord. Let your peace be upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.